Welcome to episode 44 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, Jason. Hey, how's it going, Justin? Good, how are you? Good. So we got a new audio set up here, huh? Yes, we've had, we've had problems with the audio over the last few shows since I've moved to the Mac. Um, somehow there's interference coming in from, from the, that setup. So what I've done is I've bought a, a new uh, sound, bot, sound card, like a, a Tascam. Mm-hmm. It's, called, it's called the US100. Right. A USB sound card thing. It's an audio interface. And also a new um, 22-buck headset mic from Radio Shack. So, cause, the whole $22, cause, huh? So you really splurged <laughs> on the headset. Yeah, really splurged. So, so the thing about this audio interface is it'll only accept... Um, it'll only work with mics that have some kind of power, you know, that are powered in some way or other. Right. Now, okay, now to backtrack a little, the reason that reason for this change was that you got a, a MacBook Pro about a month ago and you didn't want to, you were, you were trying to move everything over to your new computer, right? You didn't want to keep um, using your old computer for the audio. Um, it's and- a five-year-old computer, yeah, and it's just kind of hacky not to get everything moved over and do it right. If, if I'd have had to record the podcast on that computer every week and then go back to the Mac and go back forward and back and forward, it would just be kind of hacky, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But what's interesting was that in the interim, we, the audio just kind of sucked. It went downhill for a while. We had a lot of interference, a lot of sort of um, patchiness in their recording. And what was the reason for that? What was going on? The funny thing is it sucked in one way, but in another way it was better. So you, you may have, if you actually listened to the last two shows and then listened back about 10 shows, you'll notice that the sound is a lot more woolly and muddy. Okay. Um, so the the Max brought a lot more clarity to it, but the problem is, is that with the clarity, I think because it's higher spec equipment, it's more um, available to be de- uh, sensitive. Sense, yeah, sensitive to things like um, I don't know, uh, p- power surges or different stuff. Like if someone's running a dishwasher in the other room, right? It's it it, um, it would somehow affect the mic input on the Mac. Right. Well, you also had a problem of your power supply was interfering, was creating interference, right? Well, well, that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but it's because the power supply was connected to the Mac that that interference came through. Okay. Like so, so what I had to do for the last few shows was to unplug, unplug the power supply so that basically it was off the mains. And you just got some new, but you just bought a new audio card or something last week, right? To, to help solve some of these problems. Well, I bought the new audio card last week, but we didn't get a chance to record a show with it. Right. Okay. But I, you I got bought the new it after the show. Now, what is the, what does the audio card do that's so special? Well, basically what it is, is it's a digital to analog convert, uh, converter and, and the other way around. And um, it has phono inputs, it's got XLR mic inputs, and it's got standard mic inputs. It's also got a guitar input. Just a tiny little thing, 90 buck. No, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, it's, it's an external piece of hardware. It's not something that, that slots into the MacBook Pro, right? Yeah, it's, it's a USB um, so it's a USB, and it basically plugs into the Mac via USB. So it itself already is dealing with the shielding of um, external sources and radio frequencies and stuff. Okay. So, so then when you plug into it, it gives you a really clear signal to the Mac. Okay. Well, I guess we'll see how this sounds. It'll be interesting. To, hopefully we get over that, that stumbling block. Yeah. And it's also, the, the mic is also better. I mean, I've had to listen back to some of the, um, so, you know, just done some tests on it. Right, and right. Um, the mic deals with some of the wind pop issues of uh, of when I'm kind of breathing out or something. Right, I, I had to edit them out before, but but now hopefully I have to do less editing. Right, because the, the just the, the last thing on this, the last two shows, right, mm-hmm. I had to edit in between every 
every sentence or every word I said because there was um, so much noise. Right. Yeah, that's and, terrible. <laughs> and the, um, you know, the, the there's a thing that you can use called a gate, which is supposed to do that. But right. sin- but it, it couldn't do it because the noise level was too high. Yeah, yeah. And it's still, and the result still didn't sound that great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was still kind of... You know, kind of a hiss or something in the background. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what it was, but um, so yeah. So let's uh, let's hear what's the latest on Plugio these days. You know, it's funny. I was uh, Mark was over here. He you know he's been over almost every day the past I don't know four or five days working on the uh, working with me on the iPhone app. Right. And and he uh, I can't remember what brought this up, but I, I guess I saw him bring up Plugio on his computer. He's one of your clients. He's like, yeah. Yeah, he's like, I love it. It's great, you know. I mean, <laughs> so because he's he's creating an account uh, for uh, for their new project, uh, for their new uh, company. So oh, fantastic! He so he's Twitter. been playing around with Twitter then, and through via Plugio as well. Yeah, a little bit. So he thinks it's really slick. So he was impressed. So uh, yeah, what's the, what's the latest on it? There's one there's one thing that I need to do and I, that I haven't done, which is integrate the uh, Twitter retweet stuff. Okay. So so now you don't. In Plugio, you basically don't see a retweet that was done using their retweet API. Okay. Um, so I'm feeling a bit bad about that. <laughs> That's, but instead, in, uh, I mean, regarding the latest, I, I told you about the uh, speed upgrade, did I, last week? No, I don't think so. Huh. Okay. Um, so did, did I told you about the, the, the session stuff, like the, the Rackspace session stuff? No. I don't. That doesn't ring a bell. Maybe oh. one of other. Maybe maybe you did talk about, but I can't. I don't recall talking. Okay. Uh, so so basically, there's been an ongoing issue uh, with Plugio where it will come up with this very strange error saying not enough nodes available. Okay. You know? And um, the reason why it does that is because Rackspace have like I don't know twenty different systems going to to this error. <laughs> okay. On their, on their side of things. So for example, let's say. My uh, a script of mine tries to call Twitter, and uh-huh. Twitter times out. Yeah, then what will happen is because that person's cookie is connected to that connection, the next time they try and make a connection, it will say not enough nodes available. Right. right. So that's that's one example. And another example is is that because it's on a shared server, all of the people who share the server, all of the different websites, use the same PHP sessions infrastructure, okay. and the sessions infrastructure is based on. NFS is it called? I think it's called NFS. Okay. Um, so basically, it's a shared file system uh-huh. at, at the Unix level. And what happens is, if there's like, I don't know, if there's ten sites and each of those sites have two hundred open sessions, two hundred current users, right? The the connections to the NFS are blocked, right? Right. right. To, to the to the low level file system. So with Plugio, when someone new would come along, it would basically say you know, no nodes available because all of this, all of the session pool was used up. Right. And, uh, but m- m- the main thing is, is that it would take a long time to kind of get this file handle and, and kind of delegate the session to the user. So there's just been this ongoing issue, this ongoing issue. So I'm just, so, and I have so many people would, were basically coming back to me and saying, look, there's no available nodes, no available nodes there. So I right. just said, right, sod this, I will, uh, I'll just, completely bypass their session management stuff. So I, uh, I basically wrote a custom session management thing in PHP. I don't know whether you know this, but with PHP, you can actually override the way that PHP stores yeah, its sessions. Yeah, there's, there's an API like session handler, session, you know, for there's a callback function for all the different session. Exactly. That's right, yeah. So now it's going to the database, and the difference is just unbelievable. Like, it's just Plugio is supercharged now. 
Yeah, you know, um, that's interesting that that was a bottleneck. And, I, you know, I, I guess anytime you scale past single server for session stuff, you end up having to do something like that. So you have to right. move your session stuff to a database because otherwise it's tied to a single server. And right. that's always like one of the things about if you want to use PHP's built-in session management stuff, you just have to know as soon as you go past one server, you got to rewrite that, you know. But, but presumably Rackspace would cr- would would uh, create some kind of session infrastructure that was going to be really fast for all of their clients. Like, why why would me and, and lots of other sites listed, uh, you know, on that shared server have to suffer that, that performance penalty? It's a cloud uh, solution. I mean, they're, they're advertising cloud solution. It doesn't make sense. Well, you know, it's like, I, I guess it just probably, it's got somewhere stuck in the middle of the priority queue. You know, I'm sure they, it's probably one of the things they'll get to eventually, but, you know, I guess there are probably other issues that are that are that are more problematic for more people. I, I don't know. That is interesting. Though. You'd think that would come up sooner. But uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. Those. So you know, one thing you said is so each user that was that was logged in a given point has a session, right? Each yeah. users. And how many users would you have on it have logged in at any given point? Fifty. Like hundred. Oh, I guess a hundred, maybe. See, that's not that many. No. I mean, really. That's a fairly small number, so I'm surprised that even that small number that you're running into that uh, no, not enough nodes available bottleneck. You'd think, you're right, now if, if, if you were at a much higher number, you'd think that, okay, well maybe there just aren't that many people in the shared ser- ser- uh, server solution who are encountering this, but if you're talking like 50 or 100 concurrent users are running into, are, ca- are seeing that problem for you, you, you'd think that they would have noticed the problem right out of the gate. That well, a lot of people would have but it's it's not my server that's causing the problem. It's it's lots no. of other servers. So basically, yeah. I mean, the last time that this really happened really badly, I, I managed to speak to someone quite high up in their tech support, an engineer who'd helped to build a system. And what we discovered was was that there was this tech website, something like Engadget, but it wasn't Engadget. I can't remember the name of it. Something like that. And they had like 150,000 open sessions. So how many open sessions can can one serve one of these servers um, handle at any given time? Well, you see, this is it's a kind of misnomer to think of it as one of these servers. It's their it's their complete clustering system. Okay. Okay, their clustering right. system. So so basically I don't know how many their overall clustering system can handle, but essentially if if uh, a web server isn't closing the sessions properly, then they're just kind of hanging open. So there are some sites that are using a huge number of sessions and even when you're using only fifty or hundred, you're running into problems. Yeah, because we're all sharing the same NFS system. Because the, the mm-hmm. problem isn't PHP. The problem is the NFS system, which gives gives a handle to the session file. Right. I right. think I'm saying NFS wrong. It's uh, I think it's a four letter thing. I can't remember what it is, but basically, well, it's, I, I mean, it was on Windows. It's what, N, uh, NTFS. Yes, that's what it is. It's but that's NTFS. that's NT. That's that's not that's uh, Windows. That's Microsoft. That's the NTFS is new. T- remember Windows NT? That was Windows NT file system. So it's something else. It's not NTFS. I'm not a big Unix guy, so I, I, I'm a little fuzzy on what the... Yeah, no, I, d- I don't know what it is. I'm sure that they said NTFS. I mean, and it would make sense that if Windows was a part of the uh, infrastructure, that would be where it'd be falling down. <laughs> really? Well, I would be surprised that they would be using Windows for this. I mean, you, Windows is just, for server-side stuff, uh, solutions for sort of generic, um, uh, I don't know, web, server-side web stuff. I mean, Windows is not a cheap solution because you still got to buy server licenses. And the server licenses get real expensive if you have them on servers that have more than two gigs of RAM or uh, more than, uh, I guess, a certain number of cores. So I would really 
be surprised if Rackspace is using... It is NFS, Network File System. Yeah, because I, I would be really surprised if they were using Windows for any of their clustering grid-type solutions. I just, it just wouldn't make any sense. I think the only people who use Windows um, for uh, their... Any of these ISPs that use Windows for... Um, their web solutions are people who actually need specifically need ASP or ASP.net type stuff. Okay, so yeah, I'm lo- I'm looking online and I'm googling NFS Unix and it, it is NFS, so it's not NTFS. Okay. You're correct. So, well, so, that's interesting. So you wrote your own uh, database um, session handler stuff. And well, that, I didn't write my own. I found um, I found someone had done it before, and I've uh, got a class. Um, they'd done it from uh, I don't know. 2005 or something. Uh-huh. So it's yeah, a little bit I'd out imagine that something's been solved a few times. Yeah, but no, the, did actually, you it, take it and were able to use it right out of the gate, or do you have to clean it up? And, and I, I did have to clean it up. Yeah, exactly, because it it was issuing a few, um, you know, warnings and uh, what's the other other thing um, notices. Yeah. So because I, I tend to I tend to kind of run it and, and make sure that all the code doesn't have anything any kind of uh, warnings or notices. So I just had to kind of they're go through. Popping up for the user that they're echoing yeah. those things out. Yeah. Yeah, but it was pretty easy. I mean, the the, the whole switchover took about uh, I don't know two hours. That's good. Know? And now it's fast. Now, actually, using Plugio is visibly faster. Oh, this is just it's just different different thing. Like totally different. It's it's always instant. Like it loads up within like a second. Because you before you got you, you, in the server, the session stuff got queued up a little bit, waiting for uh, a team. Exactly. Exactly. And and the thing is. Um, Typically, when you open Plugio, it'll it'll ping off about five um, AJAX requests to to populate different areas and also to you know to get update counts and stuff like that. Right. So every user on their first load creates five um, sessions, as it were. I mean, I, I probably should batch them together, but um, I haven't been for the moment. But it's right. still now; it just does it really, really fast. So that's, that's great. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. So what else with Plugio? I mean, are, do you have any plans for any? Because you, you were going to expand out and try and integrate with Facebook and. Or social media, um, social networks, because I mean, that's one of the reasons for the rebranding was to allow you to expand more easily. Because if you just call it Tweetmire, then it seems like it's well, it's just a Twitter client. But if it's so Plugio, obviously, you can do. Well, um, I'm going to pull a Jason and say I've just been so busy doing contract work that uh, I haven't really been able to get much of a look in on Plugio. Um, there's, contract there's two th- work, or you've been working on Swarm? Well, okay, I have. I haven't. What's, been your, what's on... your What's your percentage? If you have a pie chart, what's your percentage of time that's spent doing your contract work versus Swarm versus Plugio for the past I don't know three weeks? Okay, well, well, contract works basically all day, every day. Uh, you, don't doing... eight, you don't eight hours a day, kind of thing. Yeah, and and Swarm I'm doing on the weekends. Okay, and and Plugio I'm fitting in a couple of hours here and there. Okay, so because Swarm has kind of taken up your mind, your free mind space, right? Yeah, brain space. So that's and it was just it's just interesting. Uh, I there's just an article that came up on or I don't even know if it was a uh, an article, but some guy did a post on uh, Hacker News and he talked about like well, you know why is it that I always lose interest on in these projects after six months? Like he's like he can't. He was he was sort of asking for advice, like how do I how can I keep myself interested because I work on some for six months and then I'm just bored and I want to move on. And it almost seems like that's kind of your situation with Plugio, right? It's successful, and, and you you came out of the gate. You did really. You 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 got a good solid revenue stream. You got some really committed users. You actually got the product working and solving people's problems. But there's because a part of you that just is sort of like at least the engineer part of you, the coder part of you, is over it. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, you, you don't see it as an interesting engineering challenge too much anymore. It's just a business. Thing. Yeah, definitely. I'd say that's true, but also, um, no, no. I, th- I think that's a good. That's a good. Good way of putting it. 
because we're, we're we're in this sort of strange space where we're you know we have to be engineers we're kind of creatives you know we come up with cool ideas and we want to experiment and try new things but we're also as entrepreneurs we have to be businessmen you know or we have to do all the boring day-to-day keep things running you know respond to report requests do accounting do whatever you know and but it's not just that i mean because swarm is it's it's an app that goes in the app store so essentially once you've got it up and running uh, you can put it out there and you don't need to focus on it quite so much in terms of customer support okay so i was kind of thinking that it was an interesting little thing to do and um I'd get back to plug you, you know, get okay, back so you're taking, you're also taking like a, a, a mental sabbatical or an intellectual exactly. sabbatical. You're like, yeah. all right, I got plug you up to a point. <laughs> People are, seem to be happy with it. Yeah. Take a break. Just do, scratch this itch because it's been bugging you because you've been wanting to work on it. Yeah. Exactly. Get it out there. And then, okay. I think that's fair enough. I mean, you know, it's like for all the talk about the importance of focus, I mean, the, we're all, ultimately because of the type of people we are as, as sort of, I, I put us sort of in the creatives group because we like to try and experiment and build new things. You know, you just get this itch because it gets, it gets more and more annoying the longer it goes unscratched. <laughs> well, I'm also a great believer that if you want to do something, if you've got a passion to do something, you know, rather than do the other thing, you should do the thing that you've got the passion for first. So it, to my way of thinking, the squeaky, squeaky wheel gets the grease, you know? Like, so I've got a real passion to solve that problem and I can get it out of the way and then I can move forward onto other stuff. Yeah, I've, I have that problem too sometimes where it's like I, I start thinking of a cool idea and I try and ignore it and I try and ignore it. And I'm saying, all right, well, I'll just print out some stuff and read about, you know, do some research. You know, it's, it, I, just, I put it in my sort of my research category. So it does, it's not really taking up development time. It's stuff that I read at night um, before I go to sleep. But then the, the itch, you know, gets, gets more and more annoying. Well, if, you're, if you're working, okay, let's say you've got this, this thing that you're passionate about that you really want to work on. And then you're working on this other thing that you're kind of, you know, you're just you're doing it because you kind of have to, oh yeah, I just have to do this. Like at best, you're, you're only going to be giving kind of 50 to 60% of quality to the thing you're working on. Whereas if you work on the thing that you're really passionate about, you're going to give like 150% of quality. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, 100% because you can't do more than 100%. Yeah, but you know what I, you know what I mean. Yeah, I, mean, I know. I hate, it's, what you're saying. I hate when people say that because everyone's doing 110, <laughs> 120%. I'm like, well, screw it. If we're all just making up numbers, I'm doing a billion percent. Yeah, but you're just indi- <laughs> indicating that basically you're, you're giving more than you normally would, right? I, know. Because- I, I just wish I just wish everyone would say, look, I'm totally giving 80%. I mean, 100%, I probably wouldn't sleep. And I'm getting, you know, I think if, if you were given literally 70%, if someone could say, look, I gave it probably 70% of what's humanly capable, that would be one hell of an effort. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, 100%, 100%, you'd work so hard for like a week, you would sleep like three hours a night, you wouldn't talk to anyone, you wouldn't eat chart. I mean, very few people do that ever in their lives. 70% would be like, okay, I'm working 14 hours a day. You know, I'm only breaking for two meals. I don't return emails. I don't return phone calls. That'd be a solid 70%. Most people give about 30% what they're capable of doing. I mean, that's incredibly subjective though, isn't it? Because, well, I think it's very subjective because look, let's, let's take the average worker at Microsoft, okay? okay. That, couldn't you just say that the amount that the average worker at Microsoft works is 100% of the general coding effort? And then if you work more than that, you're going over? No, that's just above the mean. So it's like, it's like if the mean, if the mean on a test is a seventy-five, if you if you put in a little bit more, then you're given like you know eighty percent. That's a B minus. <laughs> okay. 
know, I mean, I'm just thinking in terms of, I, I don't mean this to be critical of you. I'm just, you're just using the same terminology everybody says. But every time I hear that, and I hear it constantly on people getting interviewed on TV. Oh, I'm giving a hundred and, and like bullshit. Well, they're just, a, <laughs> maybe they're not, they don't have like a mathematics degree as you. What's they that? Have, they don't have like a mathematics degree like you do. So they're, they're not being literal <laughs> about it. It's just, a, it's just an expression. It's just like a saying. You know. I just, I just, I just, uh, it just drives me nuts. I just like, okay. nobody gives, even when I'm working really hard, it's still nowhere near my ultimate capacity of my life depended on it you know okay if your life depended on getting swarm out by next week it'd be done <laughs> right <laughs> yeah, i mean right if someone said they were going to execute your family <laughs> you would do it it would you know that would be 100 percent. anyway okay so, so just quick, oh yeah it's gone the other thing we talked about this uh this other topic called structured procrastination i think it was but basically right. a few months ago or maybe longer than that, but the idea is that if you have stuff that you are supposed to get done, but there's other stuff that you end up that you want to do, just do those other things because you'll you'll work harder because you're avoiding the things you're supposed to get done. <laughs> so you're, yeah. work, you're trying to get this 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 uh, you know this thing you're not supposed to be doing done, and um, there's a whole sort of theory behind that. It was really funny, but it it works. And I guess you're 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 sort of you know. I'm implementing structured procrastination here, right? <laughs> Procrastinating about a, a plug EO, and by doing that, you're just working your butt off on Swarm. So, um, uh, something another topic I wanted to bring up is um, with with a client's work. Um, I've been doing uh, a new technique, which I think absolutely rocks, and I just wanted to talk about that, which is um, uh, mock objects and mock AJAX. Do you have, have any idea what I might be talking about when I say that? I'm sorry, repeat that term again? The what? Mock objects and mock, mock AJAX. Oh, M-O-C-K, mock? Yeah, mock objects, yeah. Mock objects and mock AJAX. <clears throat> it's a fantastic technique. Um, so, do you know anything about it? I, th I, I, I just, you know, go on and describe it. I think I have an idea what you're talking about, but just go and fill it out for me. Okay, so with, with the JavaScript framework, um, obviously... Well, not not obviously, but one of the things that you should do when you when you're building a, a rich internet application on top of a JavaScript framework, something like Prezo mm -hmm. or something like um, Plugio. So with, with I don't know how you do it with Prezo, but with Plugio, what I do is everything is piped through one AJAX call. So essentially, I've got one abstracted AJAX call that takes a, a parameter that says where it calls on the server, mm -hmm. and um, it passes some parameters to it, and then it. Uh, returns and returns back to the calling function. Right. right. So the thing about building that out is you've got to get the server side working, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, you've got to get the server spitting out Ajax. So what we've been doing on this, on this other work project is this uh, mock objects and mock Ajax thing. And this essentially is plumbing into that central Ajax function, which normally passes to the server. We now have a little flag that says, you know, use, use the mock objects. And what it does is, rather than sending a request to the server, it just goes and has a look, look up. It, it's, it sends the, the path that would normally be sent to the server. So let's say it was forward slash get user. Yeah. Okay. What it does is it pipes it into a function. It pipes that as an argument to a function, get user. Okay. And then that function says, right, just does a switch on that and returns the spoof uh, JSON object because it's already stored client side. So basically okay. you make up all of the JSON, you, you just kind of make it up on the fly on the server side. Mm -hmm. And that way 
you can essentially spoof all of the server-side calls, mm-hmm. right? So you can just build the whole front end, get it all ready, get it all working, and it's all working exactly like it'd be working with the server, and then you just flip the flag, and then it actually makes the server-side calls. And right. it's just an incredible method uh, for, for developing the front end really fast rather than having to worry about the back end. Yeah, you know, I think another uh, a concept to some of that is the idea of proxies and stubs when you're doing um, sort of um, distributed programming or remote programming. So you have function calls that are going to another server, which is the same thing as what you're doing with Ajax. And you have um, the proxy, the clients are the proxy and the stubs are the... Um, of the server, and the stubs can be fake or they can be real. Like you might just put out fake data at first right. um, for the client. So that's exactly yeah. No, that's that's you know that's um, I've done stuff like that a number of times, and uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting with the whole. Um, I was just sort of cleaning up some stuff I was doing for this iPhone app because we're we're calling back to the server and we do a lot of AJAX stuff from the because um, they have sort of an AJAX component. Of, from yeah. the titanium framework, yeah. and uh, I mean it's actually exactly what it is an XHR. It's just looks it acts and looks behaves exactly like an, an XHR component on the on the browser, and um, you know so I initially you know we're, you, you, when you're first doing stuff you're just you're just throwing code up there just trying to get stuff working. But now I'm trying to clean it up and like okay we have these AJAX calls that are all over the place. Let's throw them all into one um, um, object called you know. Um, I just call it API, and then I have that's my that's my sort of namespace, and then right. I just have a series of functions for that, like register or do this or do that, upload this, download that, and um, and those and those functions and parameters map directly to what's on the server side. You know, there's a there's an exact replica of that on the server right. side, and um, just kind of pulling all that stuff together. And, and like what you're saying is that you can build sort of fake data that just gets returned immediately, or you can go to the server. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's great to do it because um, at, at the early stage, it's good because then you can show it to uh, the business members of the team, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it can be great for a demo. You can be sure that a demo is going to happen without breaking, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Now, when um, you're sending, I want to ask you a question about when you're sent, when you're, when you're uh, returning information from the server, you said you're writing out AJAX. Are you talking about you're returning a JSON object? You're turning yeah. a string that when you then you just do eval on the client yeah. side and it turns into the JSON object, right? Because yeah. in server yeah. you, in PHP, you just use, use a phone called JSON encode, right? You have a yeah, yeah, object, exactly. JSON encode, you're done. Yeah. yeah. So what's, inter- what's kind of interesting is that um, f- for the app that I'm working on with Mark, you know, there's the whole web, the web side of it, which was developed using AppIgnite, which has created the whole database and uh, infrastructure and all the forms and all the pages for viewing all the, all the relationships, everything. Yeah. And uh, it, it generated part of the API, but part of the API, because I hadn't had it far enough along, I had to write out some of it by hand. And so anytime we start, we start changing anything, oh, we've got to add a couple fields, or we need to add a, a, you know, a couple columns to a data, to a to a table or model, whatever you want to call it. And you, know, you have to change it like nine places, right? You have right, like, yeah. and it's like, but inevitably it would, I would make mistakes. I would like, I'd rename it or I'd, I'd, the wrong, I'd, I'd name it incorrectly or I'd put it in the wrong order. Or I'd forgot to put it in the, the server side function or the client side function or whatever. And, and that's another reason why you want to generate this stuff. Like you need using AppIgnite. It just generates all of the client side JavaScript for the library on all the server side PHP handling as well as all the you know um, object relational management stuff everything. Because so you've got that working now that the the generation aspect. 
of the uh, of the client side API and server side API. I got part of the API, but it's actually really that's really going to be easy. I mean, I really just need to take I could take like a couple hours and get most of that done because it's just such a it's so stupid. I was telling Mark, I'm like, you see how stupid this is? I mean, I'm typing the same damn thing like five or six or seven times. He's like, yeah, <laughs> it's retarded. Not only is it ridiculous use of my time, I make mistakes. The computer doesn't make mistakes. I make mistakes doing it constantly. Like we're debugging yeah. it. I wasted, we probably wasted an extra 30 minutes because, oh yeah, okay, I forgot. I forgot an S on the end of this word or I forgot to, you know, do this because I'm human. I just, you know, you just forget. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. so stupid. And that was one of the first ideas, one of the things that gave me ideas for Appignite back a while ago was is writing the Ajax stuff because you realize whenever you're doing, um, you're writing it, building an Ajax application, you are retyping so much of the same stuff. It's stuff coming out. You know, you have the database table and then and the object, you know, the the sort of model objects, and then the stuff had the server handling for the RPC or, or API function handling, and then you have the JSON objects that are sent back, and then you have the client side JavaScript functions. It's like it's all almost looks the same. And it's ridiculous. And you have all this stuff like, well, we had a, you know, we have to URL encode it and, and, and unencode URL unencode, and we have to add slashes and remove slashes for inserting the database. So all the stuff that you just forget. But oh, if, if a lot of the code's looking the same, then shouldn't you just abstract it uh, and kind of compress it into single functions? I'm not sure what you mean. I mean, yeah, I mean, a certain amount of it is, but I mean, it's 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 all different depending on the the field, the kind of fields and the kind of objects and kind of relationship the objects have to one another. So it's more of a generation right. problem than a I see. Than an abstraction problem. But nevertheless, it's it's different in that way. But it's it's sort of stupid from a sense that it's not is that it's it's, it's it'd be easy for a computer to do. If something's easy for a computer to do and you're doing it, that's stupid. Yeah. I mean, I mean, because you know, we could, because we make mistakes, and we could, we could just have it generate it, and then we could use our time doing and thinking about things that a computer can't do very well, which is most yeah. things. <laughs> you know, let the computer do what a computer does well, and you know, let us. Focus so, so on. what's the state? Have you have you done anything new with AppIgnite? What's the state with that right now? Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, I'm plodding along. You know, a couple, an hour, hour and a half a day. You know, I've been working on it, been slotting in. So it's funny, it's like no matter how busy I am with work, I'm still managing to, to slot that in because, you know, I work in the morning with one of my clients for four hours and then in between that and then working on usually Mark coming over to work on the iPhone app for four or five hours or whatever we do, I, I slot in an hour, an hour and a half with Guyon. He's, he's, he'll call right. me, he's like, are you ready? And so I'm usually just trying to juggle that in lunch. So I usually get that in no matter what, which is good. Um, because you know, I think one of the things about moving forward is that you know, no matter how busy you are more, and, and no matter how, how much other stuff you got going on in life, you're still getting in a little bit every day. Yeah. Sometimes you can't get the three or four hour push on it. Sometimes it's just like 45 minutes or maybe you just fix one bug in 30 minutes. You at least did something. Well, that's, kept- that's good if, if where you're at has that kind of thing where it's easy to do context switching. But what what about when you have a really big problem? You know, then you you just have to put in your four hours. That you just have to wait until you get that four hour slot. Well, yeah, yeah. that's that's uh, that's true. I think. I mean, so what happens is you, I have a whole list of like things you want to work on, right? You have a big to do list or issue list or what do you want to call it? <clears throat> and um, you know, so when Guyon will call or when we, we're get ready to go, I'm like, okay, so let's see, how much time do we have today? Like some days, it's like. 
on Friday, I think we had like 45 minutes because I was running behind and Mark was on his way over. And I right. said, All right, look, we had like 45 minutes. Let's just knock out these two small bugs. If we can knock these out, that'll be awesome. And sure enough, knocked them out right as Mark was walking into my office. Sweet. You know, right as he's walking into the bad cave. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, uh, we knocked them out. So it's great. You knocked out these two bugs. They're done. They're fixed. And, and there were also two bugs that Mark was stumbling over. So that was great. And then there are other days where it's like, okay, we got a solid two, you know, hour and 45 minutes before, before it's too late and, Mar- and Guyon literally collapses on the phone. See, yeah. Gaon is like a server that I'm talking to, so I talk to him, and then the, the more tired, the more load it gets, or the more tired he gets, the slower the responses are. I'm like, Gaon? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he's, literally, he's literally falling asleep on the phone a few times. I mean, not that much, but over the past, you know, how many, four years or five years, how long we've worked together, <laughs> there's been a number of times where he literally fell asleep while on the phone. Gaon, <laughs> hey, wake up! Well, there's been a few times in the show where I've almost done that as well. Yeah, well, I specialize <laughs> in putting people to sleep. <laughs> no, but, I'm only kidding. Uh, uh, did, anyway, did, you see, yeah. did you see some of the comments that we got um, this uh, for the last show? Yeah, you know, um, oh, can I, can I just finish up one last thing? For, for yeah, sure. I, I was going to say, you know, you know when, when there are big issues that we need to have solved, that's when we'll, we'll, we can just leave those off. Because there's some things, it's like, this is going to be a four-hour push or a six-hour, like, this is a really big problem. It's going to touch a lot of code. And sometimes I'll just say, you know, again, I'll tack that over the weekend. I got a four-hour block. I'm just going to just sit down and, and turn on some music, get some coffee, and just sit down and do it. Right. Because yeah. you're, you're right. There are some things that you just can't knock out in, in a half, 40, an hour, and an hour, hour and a half work. And it's just, there's it's so much going on, it's just hard to reconnect with that code in four, over four or five sessions. Yeah, like uh, like yesterday, I spent basically eight hours trying to get the um, swarm to save state oh. for, for when you close the iPad. Have you have you got involved in that save state stuff yet? Well, you know, we we save it by writing. There's a SQLite. There's a, a SQLite. Uh, database available on the iPhone, so you can yeah. save stuff to the database, and you can also, of course, just call back and save it on the server. We use both, depending uh, for the iPhone app that we're working on. We and we had a lot. We ran into a lot of problems with this with uh, SQLite. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because that's that. My first three hours was dedicated to that, Ugh, and it's, it's, it's absolutely painful. But apart from anything else, when you because I, I need to save after every move, uh-huh. and and what it does is it screws up the animation, right? Because oh. it's it's so kind of heavy. Right. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, I guess you're probably going to think of some kind of asynchronous way of making that happen or whatever. You know, well, they, have a, they have another way. They, they actually have, um, uh, Titanium has a built-in system that is like lightning fast. So just, just so that you know, you don't, need to get, you don't need to get involved with any of the database stuff if you just use that, um, that other system. What's the other system? Um, it is, um, just very quickly looking up here. It is titanium.app.properties.setString. Oh, it's kind of like writing to the registry or something in Windows. Exactly, yeah. So, and, and it's, it's what they recommend you to do for, for um, app state stuff. So it probably might be worth your guys' looking into it. And it's just one line of code. Ugh, you know what? I wish I'd known this. It's probably, we probably wasted four hours debugging SQLite stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I end up writing an object that does all the interfacing with the, the yeah. SQLite database because they have some stuff with if you don't close a record set, all right? Yeah. Some, and, and it's not always clear when you're supposed to close it, when you're not, or when you can close the database or not because you're supposed to close it. Otherwise, you have you know resources that are hanging around. or But you, don't, you can't, I don't know. It wasn't real clear. And, of course, there's very little documentation on it. So we spent a lot of time like 
because if you tried to execute two SQL queries in a row, the second one would fail. And we're like, well, Exa- what? No, exactly. I'm just, I'm just texting. Uh, I've just uh, yeah, texted you that. Yeah. Well, I created, you know, guess what my table is called? It's called settings. <laughs> and I'm telling <laughs> it you, has this one row, this <laughs> works like perfectly. Dollars. So basically you just, you just shove it, shove in a JSON, uh, uh, a, a JSON string. Right? Yeah. And it saves it like in a flash. Yeah. And then you, you get it back out and you just devalue it and it's, you've got it right there. Perfect. Yeah. yeah one line of code. That is, uh, that's really annoying. <laughs> I wasted that time and that was the answer. Well, <laughs> let it learn, I guess. Yeah. Cause I, I literally was doing, I said, well, I was like, Mark, I said, this is just kind of like writing to, we have like a, a settings file or writing to the registry, which, which we're going to do, which have one row. And that's what we did. But obviously that's probably more robust and faster and simpler. Yeah. So uh, well, I'm, I'm guessing you've abstracted your function that actually stores the data. So just shove this in there. Yeah. And, yeah. And uh, it'll right. work. Yeah. That, that'd be easy enough. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's set string to set it and it's get string to get it. So, yeah, that's, that's what my wife calls get settings and, and set settings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, I was running into all of that, that SQL light stuff and, and yeah, I had, I had a scenario where it was doing two, two inserts. I was like, what's going on? It, it just, it just kind of dies. It falls over and doesn't give you any information. Why? Yeah, right? it does. That's right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just kind of basically found the same thing that you did. You went so searched around and said, all right, there's got to be another option. We were looking at, we were gonna, maybe we should write to the file system and, yeah. and we we're going to look at that. I never, I never thought to think and like, look at the API properties or the app properties uh, object. Right. I never seen, I didn't really notice that. Well, learn something new every day. So let's talk comments. You said there were some, some comments. You know, the first thing I want to say yeah. is that normally I'm pretty good about responding to comments. This week, I was so busy with work that every time I kept looking at comments, I like, all right, I got to respond to this today. Because there were some really thoughtful comments from, you know, five or six people, um, Emra and Ozzy and uh, a, a couple others. And uh, I, was, I felt really guilty because I'm like, oh, God, I got to respond to this stuff. But it's kind of like my inbox. My email inbox was was overflowing with with. To responses that were needed and then of course the comments is like my next inbox i love um aussie's dear you know dear texting how i missed thee yeah that was good <laughs> that's really nice um lots of lots of nice little points on that um so yeah let's go through comment one but let's go through each of the five comments please respond to them in the in the, in the show and we'll have, i don't have to feel so guilty that i didn't you want to uh, do that yeah let's just do that because i think i think people who write uh, a thoughtful comment deserve some kind of um response okay so aussie uh his first point is plugio he thinks that's a much better name than um tweet miner mm-hmm. because it's uh it isn't tweet only which is the exact reason why mm-hmm. um Welcome to Macland, he also says. Right. <laughs> so he's gone through the same, um, the same move from PC to Mac. Mm-hmm. And um, let's just have a quick read it. Yeah, the, so his first issue was code editor, same as myself. Oh, um, right, because everybody uses TextMate on the Mac? Yeah, and I'm using TextMate, but God, it's nothing compared to UltraEdit, I have to say. UltraEdit's so much better. You can't even do a split window, you know? Right. Yeah, what yeah, about, and it doesn't have built-in FTP, stuff like that? I, I I never I've never used UltraEdit for that. I mean, I, UltraEdit for me is it's great because of things like it down. It'll have a right hand nav where any functions that you have in an open file, it'll list them in the right hand nav, and mm-hmm. you can double double click them and go straight to the function. Like that's one really good thing. Another really good thing is that you can very very easily in in the left hand nav browse your whole file system. Right. And it includes includes stuff. The whole kind of find and replace thing is just fantastic with UltraEdit because. It, what it does is it puts it into an output window in a bottom panel. Mm-hmm. So if, if you do find in like your whole file system, it will put all, the, all of the things into the bottom panel and then they'll each be a link 
you can double click on the link and it'll open that file directly to that place in the file. Right. You know, which is really, really useful. Right, right. Um, and then just the, the tabs at the top as well. Um, just, just the whole way that it's, it's put together. And it, it's ultimately um, configurable. Like every single component on it, you can customize and move somewhere else right to the point of changing the actual menus and nav structure. Right. Like they let you customize the whole menu system. They let you customize all of the icons. It's just, you know, you can just get it exactly the but way you want Text it. But TextMate falls more in line with the Mac attitude of opinionated software. So there's one way to do it. <laughs> one way. Yeah. And like, that's like, uh, you know, that's a feature. Yeah. <laughs> you do it our way <laughs> or opinionated. It's better yeah. that way. You're like, really? What if I don't like it that way? Yeah, well, as for the Windows, Windows apps, which kind of move towards the we don't take a position kind of thing, you can do change it around and customize stuff. It makes it more complicated. So he, he says a little thing about Flex, but I'm just going to uh, go, go past that to the Apic Knight comment, he says. Uh -huh. uh, and his, base, his comment is, wow, I don't envy you trying to pull that off. That's a, that's a big product. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. I, it's 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 funny. Uh, I, you know, I, I that people respond to that generally with the same kind of have the same reaction, which is yeah, that's a that's a mouthful for sure. That's a but, um, and it's right. You know, it's funny. I joke with Guyon a lot of times. We'll be working on some hard problem. I'm like Guyon, man, I cannot believe I let you talk me into this again. Another. Right like intractable problem of course i was going to talk guy on into it you know we were <laughs> he, when i first was bringing up the idea uh, we were looking at because we, we were we were playing around with some different possibilities of, of doing a because we figured we we decided okay let's do another web app together let's do something he was helping me on this this sort of high frequency trading stuff and i just realized when we were working on that that um i'm just going to backtrack a little bit um that this was back in like, this is a little over a year ago. This is probably May, uh, April of, of, of 2009. And we were, we were working on some uh, trading stuff. And the whole idea of, of the trading stuff is that even if we get uh, some technology working, you still have to get trading capital and you still have to get sort of um, clearing rates that are really low, which is like your commissions, how much it costs to trade and all these things. So you need all these pieces to the puzzle just to be successful. Um, even if you have like awesome algorithms and technology. Um, so, but I, when, when Guy and I were talking about this, I said, listen, maybe we should just work on something that's just totally within, under our control. So if we can do a web app, at least we don't depend on any third parties. We don't have to worry about raising money for, or getting investors for trading capital and things like that. And so we were looking around for ideas, and I had a few of them, and, and, I, and I started talking about this sort of the app ignite concept, and he was like, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> That sounds pretty yeah. big. I'm like, ah, come on, we can do it. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a little more. I think my guy owns a little, a little probably a little more. Uh, you know, feet on the ground than I do. I, I tend to be a little like, ah, we can do anything, you know. Um, so I joke with him periodically about that every time we get into some kind of really hairy problem. And it's like, God, I cannot believe I let you drag me into this thing. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so, um, so... So one thing that a couple of people have mentioned is that MASH API and App Ignite sound very similar. Mm -hmm. And they sound like they're competing. And uh, I think I've I've said that to you as well. And um, there there is a certain level of um, crossover, but it's it's they're not exactly the same. And the only way that people would know is if I ever did that uh, presentation, which yeah. just seems to have slipped under the radar. Um, yeah. I guess I should I should schedule it and just do it right. Yeah, just get it over with. I'm not I really mean. doing anything else with Mash API. So and it's it's kind of uh, slipped into the background as just a like an idea that was going to happen at one time. Right. Right. Um, 
Yeah, and my my whole the whole thing that I was saying about uh, uh, between mapping item and in in Mash API is Mash API had a set number of of sort of uh, application patterns, and yeah. it's all server side. Um, so that would appeal to um, developers who were trying to get something to scale and they needed those specific application patterns. Um, and whereas App Ignite was, I was aiming that more towards non-developers or people or developers who didn't want to allocate a huge amount of time to it, who wanted right. to get something up relatively quickly or ra- real rapid, ultra rapid development. Yeah. And they wanted to be able to specify exactly what they needed. So. Oh, by the way, you just gave the Mash API game away, but I'm going to let that go. Really? So that's good. You've that's good. about that. You've talked no, no, about we haven't. No, we haven't. I haven't said that. But that's good. Um, so that that means that I've introduced App Ignite to the world. You've introduced Mash API. <laughs> so, so that's great. <laughs> it works. All right. <laughs> Payback. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> um, so no, I mean that's that. Essentially, that's it in a nutshell. What you just said. Um, but it's you know, there's a little bit more to it, I guess. When 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 there's a presentation behind it as well. So I'll I'll set something up. And well, you, have to, be, you, you ultimately have to be able to describe your uh, your your idea in a sentence or two, your elevator pitch, right? Yeah. The way yeah. I describe it to people for for App Ignite, even though it's understating it in a lot of ways, is App Ignite is like FileMaker Pro for the web. You know. So so Mash API is pre-built um, server-side uh, application patterns, uh, which common application patterns such as um, blog or forum or whatever. It's just pre-built stuff that people use again and again and again. Right. And um, but but gradually uh, horizontally getting wider and wider with more application patterns being added to it, and it's just an API, and that's what it is. Right, right, all right. Cool. Yeah. Let's go on. Let's for the rest of the comments. Let's let's do the rest of the. All right. Okay. Um, so oh, uh, so Emra was talking about the um, the stuff about how we're living unnaturally. And you know, oh. sit, sitting down is like k- killing us, right? <laughs> yeah. So he's just basically saying he agrees with us, and he had a really interesting um, theory, which is to say that fear of heights is partially due to looking at nearby objects, e.g., e. your monitor for eight hours a day, and that's actually kind of interesting. So basically, what he's saying is is that your eyes aren't being exercised between looking at far away and close, and far away and close, mm. and so therefore it can give you vertigo. And the really interesting thing about that is that. I myself was never remotely afraid of heights. In fact, I used to, when I was a kid, I was like climbing all over roofs, you know, just up and down trees and skiing and all this stuff. And for some reason at 35, just like overnight, I became afraid of heights, Hmm. which is kind of interesting. (laughs) It totally goes in line with what he said. Yeah. I don't know if I believe that. I mean, it sounds just an interesting idea. I, I, cause I know that, a lot of people, for myself, I'm not, I'm not afraid of the heights to the point that I, it keeps me from doing stuff, you know. Right. But when they, when they'll show something on TV and they show someone looking over the ledge of a building, I'm like, woof, you know, I get the sweaty yeah. hands and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I'm kind of in between, I guess. But yeah, that's since I was a kid. It had nothing to do with monitors. I mean, ever since I was really young, as long as I can remember, you know, I remember watching. You'd be, I'd be watching something on TV with my, my with my mom or something, and my mom was afraid of heights, and I could see her getting uncomfortable, you know, and I. I knew my hands or my feet were getting sweaty. My hands were getting sweaty just seeing somebody, you know, walking on the top of some roof or something like that. So right. I don't know if I agree with that. Oh, you know one thing uh, along those along those lines about the uh, that your chair is hitting you, uh, killing you. So Guyon, you know, Guyon listens to the podcast and he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, he got me. He's like, it kind of got me thinking. He's like, you know, we have some desks here. 
at our office that are like that, those adjustable desks. Oh, yeah. And I guess there was a guy, in fact, one of the consultants who wasn't even an employee, but one of the consultants at his, at his office um, was using, had a desk like that, but didn't use it, didn't use that functionality at all. And yeah. so, so Guyon just asked him if he wouldn't mind switching. The guy was like, sure, no problem. And so he's going to try it out. So I get to kind of, you know, talk with uh, Guyon about the next over the next month or so and see how it works for him. See if 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 changing from standing at your desk to sitting at your desk actually helps, makes you feel better and helps your back feel better and things like that. So that'll be interesting. But I think you and I need to to patent the the automatic motor that randomly moves it up and down. <laughs> and we're up, man. We're down. <laughs> Well, we could do it like, we, you know, the way the sleep mate kind of like monitors your patterns and then wakes you up at the best time. We could essentially wire the people up and whenever they're the most relaxed and enjoying their sitting time, then we could like trigger it to go up. The back mate or the back, you know, back blaster or something like that. Have like a little, your iPhone app or Android app sits there and it can tell, right. It can try to get a sense like, okay, you need to stand now. Okay. You need to sit. It's okay to sit now. I like that. Make it work. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So moving on to um, Alex. Um, so Alex Gemmel, um, he says he enjoys the podcast. He's listened to the first half of the last week's one and um, was talking about um, using the web view, uh, the swarm using the web view. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'd, I'd mentioned that I was using CSS3. Right. So he was saying, um, have, have I tried out uh, some of the HTML5 Canvas stuff and also maybe SVG uh, in HTML, which right. is like where you, where you draw... Um, you know, uh, vector graphics. yeah, vector graphics. Exactly. Thanks. So, and the, I mean, the answer is no, but that, that is very interesting. And it's something I'm definitely going to look into in the future. Although, um, Aussie B posted a, a link to, uh, Raphael mm-hmm. which essentially does use canvas and, and vector. And it's really, really nice. But what I will say is on the iPad it's very, very slow. So it wouldn't be possible to use because it's just the, the, the response times are really, really low. Because of, the, because of SVG? Because, because of, the, of SVG, the calculations, yeah. But did you have a look at that Raphael S, uh, JS Well, stuff? I actually built, I built something very similar to Raphael before Raphael, Raphael existed. I had, oh. uh, for Prezo, we right. had to have a drawing API that was cross-platform where you could draw these shapes and arrows and things. And oh, nice. Just, and it was far beyond what you could do with divs, even if you got clever, um, right. especially in terms of animating and things. And so we built a cross-platform graphics API that worked on um, VML for IE which is the vector markup language or SVG, yeah. I guess, for, uh, for Safari and Firefox and everything. And so we got that working and it did, you know, it did a lot. And then Raphael came out and I was like, oh man, I should have released this open source before and gotten I was saying you completely should have. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's an opportunity missed there for Prezo. Definitely. Yeah, I've played a number of times where I've had things, and I'm sure you have too, where you've you've built something out 30% or 50% of what it could be. You could have open sourced it and created a website for it and, you know, got some out there, but you just kind of didn't. It just kind of sat there rotting in your hard drive and then someone I else comes something and you're just like, damn. I Like another one that I've had that I've, I've talked about releasing a number of times open source is I've created this, um, this, uh, um, it's, it's for high speed messaging. So if you have multiple applications on, on say like a, um, a windows or even multi, um, you know, you have maybe a Unix or Mac and these, these apps need to be communicating with each other. These desktop apps are, are, are server side processes. Not, I'm not mean, I don't mean web stuff. And you want these things to be able to send messages back and forth and work like API, so they're event-based. So I send a message to you, and then I get an event back, asynchronously. Yeah. And, um, and have this stuff work 
you know, C++, Java, um, .NET, C Sharp stuff. And it all works extremely fast over sockets and, you know, this fast binary compression. And then, of course, you can just extend the iMessage interface and right. just whatever messages you want. And as long as you've registered those messages on each of those machines, they can work. So you've written this? Yeah, yeah, and I've had variations on it. It's called Velocity, and I, you know, I've, I've started, I built the very first version in 2000, and I've, and I've had versions in, you know, COM and Visual Basic and C++ and .NET, and, you know, I've talked about, like, it would be easy to knock out a Java one. And- the thing is, I mean, it would have been better to release the, uh, the vector one because that would have more, you know, oh, that's relevant to so many more people. This other thing is relevant to about four people in the world. Oh no! Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm just saying that it's no, not, it's it's not going to make you a famous, a famous uh, open uh, yeah, source well, guy. Yeah, it's, it? it's not going to make you fun, uh, the, the, sort of the, of the of the web the web developer crew, right? That that's a, that's one sort of segment of the developer population. But all the people who are trying to connect apps together that work on on you know and in, in, in envi- distributed environments, and they have to have all these apps communicating, especially within enterprises. Right. Uh, you need a way for these to communicate, and the and the and the things that you can buy that do this sort of stuff, like um, Tibco and stuff, costs tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get these sort of message queuing systems built that require all kind of infrastructure, and it's just really complicated. Where if you want something that's really simple, um, Velocity just works; it's really fast, and uh, it works over you know, like I said, it's over sockets, and so yeah. Anyway, well, I always thought of releasing it, but you could probably do that. I mean, one thing that that you could do is. Um you know, say on this show that you've got that and you're interested in making open source and then maybe someone will, you know, pitch yeah, in well, and if anybody's super, it. If anybody's super excited about this idea, if anybody's had apps and they've had to hand code their own socket, you know, type of solutions or had, or had to screw around with, what was it? They, oh, um, the .NET remoting, which is, you, is absolutely doesn't work at all. It's a total disaster. Because they, they could basically patch it up, build a website, you know, build a website for the project. I mean, essentially, they could take all, they could take the project from this point forward to turning it into an open source thing. Mm, right. And pack, packaging it up and putting a how-to with it and just kind of getting it tested and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if anyone's interested in, uh, in Velocity, I think that's a cool idea or useful software. Um, it's, it's all basically just, um, you know, DLLs, right? Or it's all for, you know, you have C++ static or DLL library and you have like a .NET, you know, assembly or what you call DLL for .NET and things like that. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we use it for the trading, for all the trading software that I've done. When you have all these, all these computers, um, you have all these servers and all these processes. So here's a, here's a question. Have you ever used it in any, um, have you ever built any client contract work with it? No, no. Okay, that's good. So there's no IP issues. Oh, well, you know what? Actually, I should say that's not true because, uh, no, the, the current project that I'm working on, um, we use Velocity and I've spent some time, you know, improving and augmenting the so so is there any ip issues with it uh, you know it kind of would depend i'd have to talk to my buddy sulin he's the guy i work with um on my contract and if i was, i I'd, he'd, he'd probably wouldn't care but like whatever you know right. <laughs> it's just like it's just a library it's one piece to a thousand <laughs> pieces that we have to, to, to make you know the trading infrastructure work so it's not like it's yeah. a, competitive, a real competitive advantage in in, the, in, in in that sense um but whatever um I don't know. so a- another thing that um Alex uh, says is um, to have a look at HTML5 web workers, which is essentially a way of starting background process threads with HTML5. Right. Uh, and he was talking about in terms of, um, because I was, I was saying that I had to time things correctly so that the animations weren't affected. Uh-huh. And I thought that, that was interesting. Um, so I had, had a little look into the web worker thing and uh, 
it's kind of cool. One of the issues with web workers is that when when you start a process running, you can't stop it. There's no kind of way. You know, like in Unix, you can you can send it a kill signal. Right. You can't do that with these web workers. Okay. So that's that's something interesting. You have um, to be a little careful about how. Uh, huh. Yeah. What, what but, you start? What, what you what you what tasks you have them on? Because if you need them. To, die there's gotta be some way to signal them to kill right i mean, well, yeah. I mean basically well no i i think if you what you probably have to do is like use a global variable so mm -hmm. use use some kind of global variable that says and if that if that global variable state changes then your web worker will continually look at that variable every every iteration through the loop yeah you can have a flag for each web worker yeah exactly flag or something i mean i i've, I've never looked at this api so i don't really know what it does or doesn't do but i you know it's kind of interesting that in html5 you have this sort of web workers i guess you have like sort of a multi-thread environment which of course is prone to crashing multi-threaded stuff unless they've built it so they just can't crash i mean i don't know accessing the same memory is always automatically locked so you don't have any of those memory corruption stuff maybe they have like the equivalent of built-in i don't know, locking or critical sections whatever you want to call it i wonder whether it really is true that it 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 sort of passes off this task and stops you from, um, you know, stops the the existing. So basically, like with Swarm, if I used web workers, would it really stop the animation from breaking down? Or would it help the animation to not break down? Well, what do you want the web workers to do? Um, what task would you pawn off to the web well, worker? Well, I, I guess the main task I'd pawn off is um, the, the saving application state, because of the, even even with the fast way, it does interrupt the animation. Well, probably because it probably would because the animation probably doesn't need all of the processing power, and if if it's only being interrupted in these very small slices that the web worker is using to save stuff, right. I mean, I guess it, you know you never know. I mean, I I've written a lot of multi-threaded code that I thought was going to speed things up, and it didn't speed it up at all. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> times I've been very unimpressed with the results. I mean, there was some stuff that Guy and I worked on, and we spent some time working on it. And he's had and he's had a lot of experience doing multi-threaded code on C and we built some hardcore stuff, and we tried all kind of different um, threading and thread pooling, and built our own sort of um, I don't know. Uh, we, we built a lot of our own infrastructure to replace what we thought, um, what the .NET infrastructure was using for multi-threading, and we still, it still didn't help. But you it, just still, really, it, you, it really depends on the length, like how much time is being spent on those worker threads to make it worth... But you were dealing with a different problem. You weren't dealing with... Yeah. Like, like uh, the problem I'm dealing with is to keep the animation f smoothly flowing, whereas you, you were dealing with trying to insert large amounts of data. And, We're trying to process, trying to process yeah. large amounts of data. And, you yeah. know, it, it was less about saving it or, or inserting it in anything. It was just about processing huge amounts of data and having different types of calculations going on without anything getting slowed down. But you know, you're right. I mean, every problem is different. It all depends on the kind of data, the kind of calculations. You know, how you do your locking or your critical sections and everything like that. Everything's dependent. But all I'm saying is that you know, multi-threading is definitely no panacea, <laughs> and yeah. uh, it really depends on uh, what you're what you're uh what you're trying to divide up into threads sometimes that if the t sometimes it's not worth it because the, the the calculations it takes so little time to get done there's no point in spending it off it takes more work for the yeah. computer to to communicate between threads and doing all these checks and locks and stuff than it is to just do the damn thing on the main thread so that's that's the comments that we got so thank you very much for everyone posting in the comments and um just to say we totally appreciate when people post in comments it's it's the thing that makes the show worthwhile for us I mean, yeah. obviously, we do enjoy talking to each other because, you know, that's also nice. 
but uh, I mean, getting those comments is really nice because it kind of validates the the reason for the show, and it's it's good to um, interact with you guys too. So I like I, I really I really enjoy the comments. I, I check them constantly. I'm always you know looking at the comments and reading them, and I always get a big kick at them. And, and when they're really positive, and that you, know, you can tell the people are listening to the show and enjoying it, it makes me just want to do the show more. You know, if, if nobody yeah. responded, it'd be kind of like yelling into the abyss, like nothing's yelling back at you. Right. <laughs> like at least we know people are like, hey, yeah, like it's good stuff. You're like, all right, cool. Let's do their show. Um, so hey. I do enjoy it. And oh, go on. I had one thing uh, I want to say about that. But. Uh, okay. Well, um, let's say, say what you're going to say and then I'll go into, go into my. You know, do you, do you remember, do you remember uh, I had mentioned a while back, one of the podcasts that I enjoy is, uh, is called uh, Max Kaiser, is Max Kaiser. He, the guy, yeah, yeah. he's kind of a financial the crazy, guy. The crazy financial guy. Yeah, he's really funny. And he, you know, I think you have to, some of the things you have to, he says you have to take a little with a grain of salt in a way because he's, he's, he's being a little, um, a little silly in, at times, but he's, he's really, he's sharp and he talks about some interesting stuff. And um, what they do is they do uh, one of their audio podcasts, they do, which is also doing radio shows. So th- there's a radio show that they also have as a podcast and he's pretty big. He has TV shows and stuff. But their their main audio show is called The Truth About Markets. And yeah. they also have occasionally a show called The Truth About Comments where they just do kind of what we did, the Intel show. Because they right. have like 50 or 80 comments. So they have tons. So there's tons of if smart, interesting things that they can cover just purely in one show. Right. So that was kind of like our segment, <laughs> the truth about comments. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, and one of the things about that, so Max Kaiser, I, I find it's, it's like, it's one of my favorite podcasts. And my, one of my other favorite podcasts is, is antiwar.com, which basically what they do is um, they, they basically, they, the show covers, uh, they interview uh, guests who are all like these experts in, in, in foreign policy of various kinds. And it's sort of a mixture. Um, some are left-leaning, le- some are right-leaning libertarians. It's sort of a mixture. But the, the one thing in common is I think they're all, you know, I think all of these uh, these wars are just total bogus and completely disastrous for the world and for, for the U.S. Yeah. You have these people who are like, who are not just these talking heads who don't know anything. People are like 27 years of foreign policy analysts in the CIA for Middle East, and he's talking about what's really going on there. And you'd listen for an hour, and you're like, "Wow!" <laughs> did you did you see the um the post about uh pre- all the president's net worth? Yeah, I did. Right. That that was interesting. I I, I don't believe it actually. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, because the the net worths were so. I mean, the the idea of George Bush having a net worth of twenty million just seems ridiculous to me. He must oh, be worth he- more than that. I don't know. You know, he wasn't that successful. I mean, he, he got lucky borrowing some money to buy the Texas Rangers, and they had a lucky with a sale for that. But, you know, he himself didn't make a lot of money. I mean, he was, you know, his dad, you know, had his family had, the, the, the Bush family had a lot of money. And, you know, what's funny about him is that he, um, you know, he grew up, went to like Andover and Yale, is from Connecticut, but then he had sort of like this, suddenly had this Texas accent. Yeah, he's like this Texas guy. It's like oh. give me a break. The guy's from the New Northeast, you know. But anyway, so he was up, you know. So he grew up kind of in that that sort of East Coast, um, you know, Andover, Yale world, and Harvard Business School. And then he goes down to Texas, and I think that's just sort of for the for his political career. And oh no, I think for the oil business, their family was in the oil business. They're a wild, they're a wildcatting business, and uh, he they had some luck in that. But of course. He made money because his family was in that business and because of his connections was able to sort of get in there. Okay, but look, if uh, across all of the presidents that ever were, the average net worth is like, I don't know, two million or something like that. Oh, here's a question. Is that in today's dollar? Was that in today's dollars? Yeah, today's dollars, yeah. 
Okay, I so, didn't so, see that. I wasn't sure so, about that. So the average net worth is like two two million from all of the presidents, right? Well, not the average. A, that was the most common. That was like the most. That there was there were some that had a ton, like um, well, there not very many. I mean, the the most that they had was one hundred twenty five million, for example. That was right? like Harding, uh, Harding or something. I can't, or, I can't remember who. Well, but Roosevelt just, had a lot. <laughs> Roosevelt had inherited a ton of money, and so did the Kennedys. Okay, so the the Kennedys are the outlier. They're like a they're like a billion dollar family, but everyone else. Yeah. was kind of around about the, the, the one to two million dollar mark. The point I'm trying to make is that is actually very scary because it could, it could clearly explain why corporations and very rich people and very rich families such as the Rockefellers can have such a huge influence over government because we're talking about these guys who've got multi, multi, multi billions of dollars. And okay, of, of course they're going to have a huge influence on people who only have a net worth of two million. Right. Obama's right. got a net worth of five million, right? Of course, he's going to be incredibly influenced by someone who has forty billion. Well, okay, you know, it's really interesting that, you're, that it's really sort of funny that you bring that up because I came across this this sort of uh, term, this concept of you know what kind of a um, what kind of government, what kind of political system are are we living in right now? And some people, there's, there's, depending on where you lie in the political spectrum, some people complain that we're becoming so, more socialistic. Some people becoming more, more fascistic, more like a fascism of types. Fascism being kind of like where corporate and government power merge. Socialism being where... So you you're know, talking about America, right? Yeah, right, where the government owns the means to, of production and industry and things like that. And, and there are elements to both. And I'd, I'd made a comment a while back where I, I think where I said that I think the most apt thing I've heard term was called fascialism, which is sort of this weird merging of fascism and, and socialism right. in ways. But f- without going in, into that at all, I, I heard a great term on... Uh, when It was actually an, an interview with the guy on, who was on AndyWar.com, and... He 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 just brought up this term I had never heard called inverted totalitarianism, okay. and uh, it completely described. Uh, I thought described our current system better than any other, which is sort of like what they call managed democracy, where the corporations and and lobbyist groups really influence our government more than we do. Um, right. Because it's it's not so much that you know okay so we have people presidents and people like that who have you know a net worth of a couple million dollars and so these corporations and lobbying groups are just going to like pay them off because that's not really how it works and what what happens is first of all the most of the presidents make money like I think Clinton's made uh, President Clinton didn't have hardly any money coming into maybe a couple million dollars net worth coming into the presidency but he since then he's has he's he's created amassed the fortune about 47 million because of books and speaking engagements right these guys get like hundred thousand dollars for one speaking engagement and they make a ton of money on their on the books they write so they make money as a result of their of their role as president but not a lot of times just being a, as president obviously they don't make much money now what happens, I think, and what's happened in our situation is that, um, like any system, uh, uh, you know, the, the gov- governments get gamed after a while. Like people figure out how to game the system. So organizations or individual groups of people who just say, hey, we want X, Y, Z policies because we think they're right or because we think they're going to benefit, you know, our particular group. And so we're going to fight for them. Like everybody has to go and fight for their, their piece of the pie because if they don't, the other groups are just going to get it. And that comes from... You know, every group, whether you're talking about unions or corporations or civil rights groups or any group at all, has to go in there and fight. But what corporations have figured out is that 
the more money that you put into paying for lobbyists, which who are, a lot of times are ex-politicians and people who have influence and access, the the more you can get done. And they've gotten mm. so good at gaming the system through lobbyist groups that I think our government is much more controlled and managed by corporations and lobbying groups than by you know, the populace in general, because the populace in general has become sort of um, apathetic and, and, and disengaged because they feel so powerless. Like, you know, most you, you hear you, you see tons of you know, polls that say, well, you know, X percentage of people want us out of Afghanistan or want us out of Iraq. But yet we're there and we're putting more troops in. <laughs> right. What's going on is not what most people want. It's what, you know, it's, it's, it's controlled by other factors. And inverted totalitarianism, I'll put a link to it, and it's on a Wikipedia article. But um, I read it and I was just like, holy crap, that is the most succinct and best description of exactly, you know, what's going on. Sort of a concentrated media, um, you, know, he, he, you, know, you know, a lot of uh, corporatism and, and lobbying and, uh, you know, things like that. But so here's the thing, the one the one guy who who comes in who has a billion, mm-hmm. right? Who essentially has that that financial weight behind him is the guy who gets murdered. I don't know what, what are you talking about. Well, well, I mean he's he's the I mean JFK, right? So he's mm-hmm. he's the guy who who's who's on a par with the corporations. He's on he's on a par in terms of financially. He's on this financial par, mm-hmm. and um, he has. He has huge amounts of uh, wealth uh, at, at his disposal so that he can essentially fight corporations with money if he needs to. And he's, he's the guy who gets killed. Right? Well, you know, I think, I think you know, there's, there's a lot of theories about what happened. If, you, if you're a believer in the magic bullet theory that one patsy, you know, uh, Oswald managed to pull this off by himself and that all the secret service stood down and all these things happened. I mean, that's, it's kind of a ridiculous conspiracy theory or theory that the government put forth. And my belief, I haven't done a ton of research into that, but I, I I would be more apt to believe that it had something to do that the CIA was in on it because he was going to go in and uh, break apart his, he said, his, he had a famous comment. I'm going to, I'm going to break apart the I'm going to break the CIA into a thousand pieces. Because the right. CIA becomes so corrupt and so powerful, and there's so much stuff going on that was out of control of, of sort of the, of the government that, right. you know, and I think that, uh, you know, this, the CIA had a lot of, you know, um, the CIA, de- you know, deals in a very dark, nasty world with a lot of, with mafia and different other, other types of, so if they, if they wanted to get other people involved and, and manage the situation, they could pull it off. And they certainly could. Now, I don't know. I haven't even read anything on. I've read snippets about it and books about you know that, I, that have my wish list that I want to read. There's one called like why JFK was killed and why it mattered, and it was by a pretty I think eminent historian, right. and um, really lays down an inc- incredibly uh, solid case for why how I think the CIA was involved and how it was not some you know Oswald or whatever. But anyway, like I said, I'm not saying that's what happened because I don't know. <laughs> I don't think, and obviously, no one's really ever going to know for sure, but. I think you, you go up and you challenge something like the military-industrial complex. You challenge the, C, the existence of the CIA, and you're probably going to find yourself six feet under. Okay, do you want to change the subject? Sure. Oh, one last thing I wanted to say it was funny. So uh, this the thing. The reason I brought up the antiwar.com podcast oh, yeah. is that Matt, uh, Max Kaiser was interviewed 
by All Scott right. Gordon, who does the and I was, and so Sandy walked into my office and I'm like, I'm in podcast Nirvana. <laughs> It's like my two favorite Max Kaiser on antiwar.com because Max Kaiser is a financial guy. And in, 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 in antiwar.com, Scott Horton, they focus, you know, almost exclusively on foreign policy stuff. You know, the closest they ever get to, um, to financial stuff is if they talk to maybe Lou Rockwell's a libertarian. He'll, he'll kind of make a few comments about, you know, the Federal Reserve and, you know fiat currency and stuff like that. But generally speaking, it's solely foreign policy, Afghanistan and AFPAC and uh, Iraq and all that kind of stuff. But they had uh, Max Kaiser on there and it was, uh, it was hilarious. I was like, this is great. I got, it's like, I actually want to, I'd actually like to see if I contact Scott Horton cause he's actually lives in uh, Santa Monica. Huh. I was like, I'd like to see if I can, I'd like to meet him one of these days, but <laughs> um, he'd seem like be a fun guy to talk to. But anyway, so yeah, let's, let's moving on. Okay. So um, <clears throat> have you seen the, um, the state of iPad sales? I hear it was like uh, 200000 a month or something they're selling. Is that right? 200000 a week. A week? Yeah. That's a lot. That's, that's, that's a serious uh, shifting of... Uh, they're, they're selling more than Macs. Um, I think they're, they're outselling Macs by 100%. Well, you know, you know I heard this on... Uh, I think it was... Um, uh, John C. Dvorak was talking about this on um, his Tech 5, which is one of the podcasts I listen to as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. And uh, one of the favorite things I like about Tech 5, about that show, by the way, is his little intros and outros that the, uh, <laughs> the producer to it is like, John C. Dvorak, the greatest living man walking the earth today. Yeah. <laughs> like that. I like, love that. <laughs> but um, anyway, he was like, he, his comment on that was like, yeah, but you know, everybody, not everybody buys a new computer every day, right? Like people who have Macs, they already, they're not going to go out and buy, you know, they, they're not going to be buying a Mac every month, but nobody has an iPad, right? So people are buying iPads because they don't have them, but you know, people already have computers. I don't understand how so many can be selling. If, if there's more iPads selling than computers, right? If, if that ever happens, how can it happen? Because it has to be tethered to the computer for it to work in the first place. Um, wait, 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 repeat that again. Repeat that again. What? iPads only really work if you've got a computer to plug them into and, okay. and sync via iTunes, right? Right. So they're, it's, they're kind of screwed for the moment until they can, until they can hook into that, uh, that Which, cloud concept. Mm-hmm. Which is funny you bring that up because that was something I pointed out when we had the big argument about it. Right. And a couple couple shows ago, uh, and I was reading this article on, I think it was Google's I.O., maybe one of the keynotes or something. Yeah. Um, it was just sort of a recap of it, and one of their, I don't know, their VPs, of en- directors of engineering or something said, he had a comment, he said, uh, here's what the article, the line of the article said, is that on Android's upcoming over-the-air music download capabilities versus Apple's tethered syncing, he, he goes, we discovered something really cool, it's called the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, exactly. It's stupid. You know, why yeah. are they doing it? I mean, why can't and these things obviously can connect to the internet. Why yeah. can't they just sync through the cloud? I mean, I'm sure they're going to they're going to make that happen soon because that's going to stop stop the sales. Once they've done that, once they move iPhones and iPads off off the the whole tethering thing onto the the cloud. Well, I mean, obviously it'll still be tethered to Apple, right? But it'll be Apple's cloud. Sure. Once they do that, I think I think it's going to really go through the roof. 
Yeah, and all the, you know, I, Apple iPads are cool. I mean, I, 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 I'm probably going to uh, buy one for Sandy for her uh, for her birthday and this summer. I think oh, she, you guys are gonna love, love it. Well, I got her the um, I got her the Nook for Christmas, and that has been the, by far the best gift I've ever given her. I mean, I've got her some nice things in the past that she loved, but they're you know, you get her something like you know, if I give her some, even if I got her like a really nice piece of jewelry or something, I mean, so they oh, this is really nice, and they wear it and they love it, but <laughs> they don't think about it, right? It's like after a while, it's like oh, it's just they have it, right? But if it was in the Nook and they're using it, I mean, she reads like a couple books a week on that thing. And she's just like, oh, I love my Nook. So couple, couple that then with Google TV. Yeah. And uh, we, you can really see the, where things are going, right? Yeah. I mean, with once, once I, I'm interested to see how this Google TV thing plays out. Um, I mean, if it is essentially a searchable TV system and it's just got all TV, all the TV networks up there, that's going to be kind of cool. Right. Yeah, no, that's that'll be cool. I think yeah. So you, you're loving your iPad, huh? Oh well, I, I'm I'm loving it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I may mainly use it for for developing Swarm, but I do use it now for watching certain shows. It's funny. I'd actually rather pay one buck ninety nine to get the to get the show, such as Stargate Universe, mm-hmm. and watch it in bed than uh, just watch it on the normal TV. <laughs> Really? <laughs> Is that stupid? Why would you want to do that? I don't know. It's just a better experience. It's better watching on a little thing on your hand than sitting back on a flat screen. All right, do you have a flat screen TV or? Nice? Yeah, we do. We've got a good TV. You know, it's just, really? I guess what it is is it's convenient. Do you have it's a TV in your in your bedroom? No, no. Oh, okay. So we have a TV in our bedroom. So we tend to watch TV at night on our in our bed. So I, I can't imagine anything better than watching a flat screen oh, okay. TV while you're lying on your bed. You know, and if you're not interested, if it's only something I'm partially interested, in, I'm kind of reading or chatting. It's with just them. so convenient to be able to have it there in your hand and play at any time. And because the screen is big enough, it it's a decent, it's a really decent viewing experience. And yeah, I wouldn't mind enough. it. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, I think it would be cool. I, I don't know if I'd want it in lieu of the yeah. TV in the bedroom, but um, they're definitely. It's like a lot of these new media things. It's like, you know, they don't necessarily replace the old one. It's just they augment. They just replace the uses of it in some instances. Yeah. You know, people say, oh, well, you know, we're now going to read. We're never going to read books anymore. We're all, it's all going to be on these. It's like on these e-readers. It's like, well, not necessarily. I mean, sometimes it's going to be more convenient to read them off like a book reader. And sometimes it's not. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's it's more, you know, oh, we're just going to totally I am. We're never going to use email. No, sometimes email makes more sense than I am. And sometimes totally phone agreed. calls make more sense than that. You know, it's just people just optimize for each one. I, I think, think that's what Wave's all about. What you just said. Yeah, I never really got into that. I don't know what's, well, I mean, I, I know what it is, but it seemed like it wasn't, re- it didn't really work for anyone that well. Yeah, I, I can't imagine Wave really, really taking off that big. I mean, maybe just a, for a small subsection. Like it could be a good business tool, but I can't imagine it. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it will. I probably I could be proved wrong, but from what I've seen, it's just a little bit too complicated. Right, right. So I got a couple things I want to talk about real quick. Can, um, can I just before you say that? Can I just I just want to ask uh, a favor of our listeners before you before you do that. This is something I meant to say in our when we we're talking about the comments. I meant to say this, but I've just seen a little note here and I've forgotten about it. Which is to just quickly say we we would really love your help if you wanted to blog about texting. Uh, do a little review of the show. That'd be fantastic. Just to help us uh, grow the audience a little bit more. Um, and of course, you're not obligated to do that, but that would just be really, really kind. If anyone ha- has a blog or could maybe email some friends about the show, just just, just to help us spread the word. Um, I just want to say that. Yeah, well, I guess that's the extent of our biz dev, isn't it? 
Yeah. That's the extent of our, our, our marketing. We have done nothing. We've done zero to, uh, to build the audience. I mean, the only thing we do that helps build the audience is we bring interview somebody who themselves has some kind of an audience. And when they when they promote them, when they on their blog or on Twitter say, hey, I was on TechZing, then, you know, some number of them go around and listen to the show. And some percentage of those people stick around as subscribers. But that's all. That's the only thing we've ever done. I mean, if there's if there's anyone listening to the show who's who's into marketing and likes the idea of marketing and might like to help us market the show. Yeah. Give us a give us a ping. Just send an email to podcast at com. You know, we can have a, a chat about it and see if, uh, you know, what ideas we can come up with. Maybe have a brainstorm. So, um, I noticed something. I, I wish I'd written this down, but I've, I've over a period of the last month or so seen a couple of, I don't know what you call memes pop up, which are right. things that we had talked about like months in advance. And then like somebody else like coin a coin, coins it. I'm like, Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jess and I talked about that. Now, okay. I don't know if we could lay claim that we actually uh, for the first one to coin the term, but you know what we did the show on? Ra- we called it radical transparency. Was it, we even titled the show after that? When you were, what you were oh, doing, you know? yes, yeah. I saw that pop up. Dana Boyd, who's like a big social media um, expert, and she's like a fellow at Harvard, and she's written a lot about this kind of stuff over the last ten years. And she, she, started, I think she was commenting on Facebook situation, and she starts talking about radical transparency. And I was like, and she put that in quotes: radical transparency. And I was like, uh, I think you need to refer back to show number 32 of texting. I, I, I think you're right, because I noticed that as well. And I thought, Did we, we said that, didn't we? Yeah. Because like, you, you made that up, right? Yeah. I, well, I think you were talking about it. And I think I jokingly said, yeah, it's like radical transparency. And you're like... And then you, then you called the, um, the episode radical transparency. Yeah, and, then, and so people know how this works. Generally speaking, the workload works that Justin has to spend all his time editing the shows, and so I'm usually stuck with trying to come up with a name for it, and I write up the, the little synopsis. Not that that's a ton of work, but I you know, usually come up with... So if you think the names of the shows are stupid, you can blame it on me. He just right. he doesn't care. He's just like, whatever. You've got a theme. You try, you try and map it to movie names, don't you? Ah, you know, sometimes if I can, like, dude, where's my database, you know, right. or you had me at Erlang, which is a reference is you had me at hello and, um, yeah. And, okay. Uh, is it sayings that you try and map it to? I don't know. I try and map it to something, you know, just trying to make it kind of funny, but sometimes there's just nothing that I can think of that's funny <laughs> or that has any relevance to the show name, you know, and there's a few that have failed that I just think, and look, in retrospect, I'm like, that wasn't a very good name, but. I know. think that the, the show has grown because. The episode number 42 got 400 downloads, right? So, and that is, that's higher than the average we've been quoting, isn't it? Because that that didn't have anyone famous on it. It was just you and me chatting. Yeah, no, it's growing. It's definitely growing. It's just, you know, when you, you know, say, that's one thing that's good about the show is it's or similar to the show as like say growing a startup is it starts really small. You know, right. if you have an, anything resembling a, a exponential growth, it looks completely linear and ridiculously small in the early yeah. stages. And it isn't until later on, if it grows past a certain point, you're like, Hey, that isn't linear anymore. That's getting sort of exponential. Now I don't think texting is going to, you know, go exponential, go hockey stick or anything like that. But the growth, the speed of growth is increasing. You know, because if you have 200 and you grow by X percent every month, then it's not going to, it's only, you know, you pick up, hey, we pick up 10 users this month. Well, then you get 400 and you pick up 10%, you know, a month and it's, it's, it's a bigger number. Yeah. So, you know, eventually we'll, that's why the sooner we can get to a higher number, like say a thousand subscribers, I don't mean a thousand downloads, because we've had, you know, a thousand or 2000 downloads of a show when we had a few like hot topics, like the, um, 
the Space Wars one and uh, the Dude Where's My Database. Uh, those those were those were in, in Balsamic. Those there were some huge pops. But two six of, seven two six. In fact, two thousand seven hundred um, downloads for the um, uh, for that database one. Right, right, right. So Cassandra. Yeah, so those were just sort of, you know, people came by one time and they didn't come back because it was just that topic they wanted to, they wanted yeah. to hear about. Now, um, I lost my train of thought. Um. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it's just, it's just, it's just, it just takes, you know, the the growth is. Um, it's just, it's just. You, what you want to do is you want to get to that number of solid subscribers earlier yep. it's kind of like when you're saving money they say you know they, they you hear these you know, his advice like okay if you start saving a hundred dollars a month when you're 21 you know right out of college versus 31 versus 41 or something it's dramatically the different level of um total uh, um savings you'll have by the time you retire for instance right so <laughs> you, what you want to do is you want to get to that high number earlier because the, because of the compound interest on the higher number right. is growing so much quicker so it, the sooner that we can get to say beyond our our 3 or 400 that we get in a week now i think we get to like i think we have like 300 and something after a week yes yeah, 300 it's about 300 a week and then 400 after two weeks yeah so sooner we can get that number up to say like 1000 or 2000 and then that just grows then that starts growing you know uh, you know by a percentage because a certain number of people help spread the word, you know, whatever. And the great news is that we're not doing any marketing whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, so imagine so if we actually did some. not growing. <laughs> All right, well, let's not bore people to death with the okay. uh, marketing of the show. So, um, Well, one thing I want to say about that is um, just uh, no, no agenda. I was just listening to them, right? Uh -huh. Oh, you're, you're friends with them again? No, yeah, friends with them again. They were to mad. Them, yeah. You were mad. I you was mad. mad. Do you know that they, they, I think they've got like 50 nights now. Some, somewhere around there, yeah. And they, they pay a thousand bucks each to become a knight. Really? Yeah. And um, I mean, when you listen to their shows now, like they regularly have every single episode, they have people, they've got like three to five people contributing, I don't know, like between one and 200 bucks. Mm. And um, then they've got, I, I would say they're beginning to actually change the model and, and turn over a decent revenue. And you know what they really remind me of? Like listening mm. to them now evangelists like basically well they're, they're like they're like that kind of archetypal kind of evangelist asking for money right? oh just in terms of how they raise money just asking for well, donations well, but it's not just that like it's 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 almost like a faith as well because what they're talking about the, the whole thing it's it's like a lifestyle faith right because what they're saying is you know conspiracy theories are true the government's out to kill you like it, you're kind of believing in their whole concept and they're getting donations off you so it's like right. a new kind of religion you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> where they're, they're asking for money and they're, they're soliciting money. They're getting thousands of dollars and they're changing people's perspective on how they think about life. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. What, what was, uh, he, I mean, I, I think he even, he even calls himself a crackpot. Um, what's it, the, uh, not Dvorak, but the other guy. Um, oh yeah. Crackpot and Buzzkill. Right, those are nicknames. What's what's yeah. the guy's name? Not uh, Dora. Adam Curry. Adam Curry. Um, he calls yeah. himself Crackbot. Yeah, he believes every every Crackbot theory out there. It seems like. Anyway, uh, so you're listening to him again, right? I mean, you 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 got over being mad that they mispronounced Plugio and. <laughs> or tweet yeah, Lester. I mean, I, I guess I got over it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, well, that's good. <laughs> <It's>, you know, <laughs> point holding grudges. So, um, 
let's see. The, the, the thing, a couple things I wanted to bring up um, is, oh, I just had an interesting conversation yesterday with a friend of mine who's in the trading business, and he's he. I had worked with him. We had started off working on a project together, like an automated trading project back uh, about two years ago or okay. something like that. And we ended up changing uh, – we, we ended up not really pursuing it. He he wanted something that – he would always term it a, a more center of gravity. Like he wanted to go work with a corporation that had more resources. He didn't really want to bootstrap it. Just two of us. He thought it just – we just didn't have enough um, resources to make it happen. Yeah, it's just reasonable. You know, some people have a stomach for bootstrapping and, you know, let's build the technology. And then once we have a technology and we have a good story, then maybe we can, you know, raise some trading capital. Once you get trading capital resources, then, you know, you just kind of bootstrap it. So he ended up going and um, uh, working for this uh, trading company and they provided the capital. And he's kind of gone through a couple different developers, three different developers at this point. And. He's come across he, the realization, um, I think he already understood this, but he's really come to understand that all developers are not created equal, that there's right. a big range and, and capability and productivity. And uh, he was just sort of frustrated with that. He's, he's like, I don't think, he was saying this, he's like, I don't think the, the management really understands how much more valuable these, a top-notch developer is, that paying them two or three times the amount of what these other guys are making is, is just nothing, that's a bargain. Right. Because you, you just, because the amount of money they can make trading is just magnitudes magnitudes more than what you're paying for these for even top-notch developers and so if you can get something up and working and really working six months or a year before or actually you know working versus not working it's just uh, it's nine day and so but he was just like you know there's just how do you even identify these people like in Chicago? Like, where are these people and how do you find them? Because the good developers, he's like, as Joel Spolsky says, good developers are rarely ever on the market looking for jobs. They're usually, yeah. you know, busy doing stuff. So yeah. you end up, ha- you'd end up having to find these people when they aren't in some other situation, either this, either working on a startup or doing consulting or working in a company. And you need to be in touch with them as they're starting to decide, maybe I want to do something else. Would it be good to get a pocketbook of, of guys? You know? well, yeah, well, I, my suggestion to him, I said, you know, if I wanted to build like my Delta Force of special ops programmers, <laughs> right? right? Like these these guys who are just all of them are just awesome, and you know, because it was the, the the sort of the the the. I guess the belief now is that, which I, I, I think I ascribe to to a certain degree, is that you know, top-notch developers, like great developers, are you know, 20, 30 times more productive than, say, mediocre developers. You're average. Yeah, absolutely. You're showing up. Um, you know, and, and maybe just good developers aren't 20 times as good, but the people who just can just make magic happen. And um, anyway, how do you find all these people? How do you get those people? And I said, you know, I would suggest if I was in your situation where over a period of two or three years, I wanted to try and build a team of two, three, five, seven, ten top-notch people, build it slowly, I would host like these hackathon things. And if you host them and maybe you give away some, you know, host them with free food and beer and rent out the place to do it and just kind of get into the community of hackers, people who are on Hacker News and places like that. And you would get to know a lot of these people and a lot of them would be when you're meeting them and talking for even for the first year or two might be otherwise employed at places that they're happy with. But over time you're going to get to know some of them and some of them might decide, Hey, I'm not so excited about what I'm doing now. And you could say, Hey, you know, if you're, if, and when you're ever looking for something, you know, we can offer you X, Y, and Z. You know, Jason, that is a brilliant idea. And if I ever work for a, a company again, full time, I think I may suggest that to the management. Yeah, because you know they're doing these hack. Well, thanks. Uh, the the because the 
And these hackathons, I mean, they, they would probably be a lot of fun. They would appeal to, 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 to top-notch developers who are always pushing, who, who like to do fun, cool stuff and experiment with new yeah. technologies and say, hey, you know, you can have a themes for the hacks, what we're going to do, you know. You could host special conference on, like, the NoSQL stuff or iPad hackathons or, you know, just focus them on s- certain things, you know, robot hackathon, you know, anything. And you make them fun. You make it 24-hour, 48-hour things, you, you know, free you know, food and, and, and beer and even, um, you know, giveaway prizes. Like, a, you know, the first prize is the MacBook Pro. Second prize is the iPads, you know, things like that. Or, you know, which in the end isn't that expensive. Do you think how much it costs for recruiters or HR people to find these people and ultimately do a crappy job? Hey, did I tell you I've got this one client who, uh, when, when I work on his site, we, we do, it's similar to the way you and Guyon work together, we'll do shared screen session. Yeah. But he always insists that I have beer. And, right. that and that I'm like two, two or three beers down before we get started because, <laughs> <laughs> because we, because one time we had a session and I was kind of drunk and I said, you know, oh, should, do you really want to do this session now? And he's like, yeah, sure. So we did it and we got through so much more stuff really? <laughs> when, I, when I was drunk. <laughs> he said, man, that was like the best bug squashing session of my life. <laughs> so now he uh, always asks me to have a beer. <laughs> does it help? Do, do you still hold it? I think it's, you make yourself, it makes you more productive. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I may, maybe it stops me from, uh, maybe what it does is it stops me from arguing and I just get the work done. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> who, who knows? But I mean, the funny thing is, is that there's certain things that are so ingrained in your, in your brain and, you know, the pathways in your brain, even if you do have a few beers, it doesn't actually make any difference to how well you do it or not. And I think that just basic, basic coding, I think that I'm now at that level, you know, once, once you're over the 40,000 hour level, I think you can get like that. I, I remember a friend of mine, um, is in in Ireland is brilliant is a fantastic chess player very very good at chess mm-hmm. and um this other guy who's really really intelligent guy um was constantly trying to beat him at chess right and what they decided to do was to get was to get my foot the first friend really drunk like <laughs> stupendously drunk and play him at chess right and so they got him drunk where he couldn't he could barely stand up right he couldn't even stand right and they played a game of chess and even when he was in that drunken state he just you just mindlessly beat this other guy. He couldn't get anywhere close to beating him at chess. Oh, wow. And it, it's just because it's just, he's he's got so good at it. It's so ingrained in his psyche that he just couldn't beat him. You know, it's, um, it's an it, interesting uh, story too about the, the guy who I was telling you about uh, who I was having the conversation about the hackathon. Right. He's uh, he's a, like I said, he's a trader and he's working in Chicago and really, really bright. He's, he, um, you know, he's like he was taking college math courses when he's like in ninth grade and things like that. And um, he, uh, he, I went to school with him at University of Chicago. He was a, um, a year ahead of me, and uh, we've been friends since then. And his name's Kaz. And so Kaz, um, one of the stories about him is he, you know, he was good at chess among other things. And um, his couple of his friends and roommates, who are also good chess players and smart guys, were like, you know. So we can, you know, I guess there was some conversation about who was better in chess. And Kaz, they said, all right. Kaz, I think, said he could beat them without even looking at the board. So they had okay. Kaz sitting in another room blindfolded. Okay, he was sitting in the lounge of, the, of, our, of our dormitory, blindfolded. And they were calling out, another guy was standing in between calling out moves to him. And the guy who was playing was in the other room looking at the board. And then there was a second guy, roommate, who was helping him. And they were cheating 
because he was helping him. And they were also trying to like say, okay, well, you know, this piece moves to this square, and and you know, they were incorrect moves, illegal moves, and Cos would constantly constantly like, no, you can't, you can't do that. That's illegal. <laughs> like, ah, you know, and Cos still beat him. <laughs> Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, he set the Cos set the record. I remember um, the, the the company that uh, he works at that um, they they would for all em- new prospective employees they give them I think what they call the Wonderlect test, which is kind of like an IQ test. It's like forty questions, and you take it in like I don't know fifteen minutes or twenty minutes or something like that. And you know they would give it to everybody, and they have a lot of super bright people coming. A lot of PhDs in physics and math, and just, just general really bright people. And uh, I Cos has sent the record there. <laughs> I don't know what he got, but it was like a 38 or 39 on the Wonder <laughs> or something like that. And, and did, does he come from a, an, an education background? I mean, does he do a master's in something? Or? He got his math. He got his undergrad at math, Chicago, and then he, he went a year or two later and got his master's in math, um, I think at um, somewhere in I, University of Iowa State or somewhere. He, he cause was kind of a, um, a screw around in college. I mean, he's a guy who would never go to class and stay up all night long walking the halls, practicing his Japanese. He was just a Kaz is just one of these guys who's just a character. I, I always tell people, Kaz is like Mike Kramer. If I was Seinfeld, he's like Mike Kramer. <laughs> Kaz, Kaz, I mean, good. He's, like I say, he's a really good friend of mine. I like Kaz a lot, but he's a character, you know. I, and, I, you know, Kaz, he would have no problem with me saying that. So it's like he, he, he would be here in, in, he's staying at my place for like a couple weeks. He would call, often come out here for, and, and, uh, and just crash at my place for like two uh, like two weeks at a time, week or two at a time. And yeah. things that he would do, for instance, is like, I'd be sitting here and all of a sudden I'm working and I'd have two desks in my office here and he would just leave. I hear, and I hear the door, front door open and close and he'd come back like an hour later. I'm like, gosh, where'd you go? He's like, oh yeah, I just went to get some food. I'm like, gosh, I would have gone with you, dude. I mean, <laughs> I just said, hey, you know, let's grab some lunch. Just leaves. He's, he's in his own dimension. He just leaves. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. You know, I remember one time this was like, so I'm like, three little kids and this is like maybe a year year and a half ago Kaz goes out to the living room and Sandy's out there with the kids and Kaz literally falls asleep on our couch in our living room for like three or four hours and I walk out I kind of walk out of my office I look at it Sandy looks at me she's like what the hell the kids are literally practically jumping on top of him screaming and he is completely crashed out on the in the living room with the kids going nuts. doesn't move. Oh, my God. Who could do that? I have an infinite number of stories. That's, that's not even nothing. I mean, there's a much crazier <laughs> story, but that's like the cause. Okay. It, it's hilarious. So, uh, but that's, that's what causes chess story. Anyway. <laughs> so, well, of course, the, I've, I can't remember who it was, but there's, there's the, the, that Russian chess player who like played, 12 people, played 12 people blindfolded or something like that. Yeah. But, um, uh, I well, think... We sh- yeah, that's probably yeah. a good length of the show. We're probably at, at the hour and a half mark. We've got, yeah, <laughs> you know, we're, the, we're over that. We've gone through a lot of stuff this show as well, yeah. Well, you know how the show started? We initially started the show as like 50 minutes. <laughs> it's yeah. like, kind of like an hour and a half show now. It, and it almost feels like you're shortchanging the audience if you don't do an hour and a half now. Well, I just have, I still have like nine topics I'm sitting there looking at. I had the stuff I want to talk about, the prologue story. There's an issue about how self-discipline outdoes IQ and predicting academic performance, which is really interesting. Um, one okay, other we'll say, did you see? Did you? See, I'll do. I'm gonna let's do the. I'm gonna do the blitz round here. A couple of things I want to talk about real quick. Okay. Self, did you see the self discipline out those IQ? And uh, so they talk about in adolescence, like how people, how kids do in school and grades and stuff like that. And right. Self discipline was a much stronger predictor of your grades and performance than say how well you do an IQ test and how that many, makes sense. Hours a day you spend studying, your study when you study, all those kinds of things. It's it's, it's self discipline. 
which I think probably applies probably the same thing about success in startups and everything else. It's like, can you get yourself to do the things you don't necessarily want to do, but have to get done anyway? Makes sense. Second thing, um, the uh, prologue story, this guy was talking about how they, he was working for a consulting company. He was talking about how they, um, they got a client came in and they said, hey, they, they, they had this fairly complex, complex um, spec where they had huge amount of data in these databases and they needed to describe, like they had all these different you know, columns in this table or these tables, for instance, that said, okay, well, we're in this situation. It has a state transition to these other states and it's, it's sort of something that's incredibly hard to sort of describe in SQL. And they, right. and they initially kind of spec, they spent like a day or two kind of specking it out and they said, you know, writing it and I can't remember what language, Java or C++ or something. And or some standard imperative language, maybe it was uh, Python. And they said it would take them a couple months to code it up. But they said, all right, let's just put this thing aside for a couple days and think about it. And the guy came back and he, re- and he, and he had studied, he'd taken a course, I think, in Prolog in college, which in Prolog is like an AI sort of logic-based um, declarative language. Right. Um, declarative like SQL, um, not imperative where you're doing loops and if-thens and stuff. Okay. And, um, or, 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 yeah, and... He so he said, ah, you know, pro, this actually seems like a problem for prolog solve. And even with his limited number of prolog knowledge, they, t- they just had SQL pre-process some of the uh, the data and spit it out, and then wrote a simple prolog program. It took him a day. Hmm. And that's an example of like where you have the great programmers versus the average programmer, because your average programmer would have no concept to even think about something like that. In fact, most programmers wouldn't. But it also was a little luck- lucky that this guy just happened to know prolog, which hardly anyone knows. Hmm. <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff that, you know, sometimes it's just sitting back and thinking about the problem a little bit and not just sort of jumping right in and starting writing code. Because that, that's his point. It's like maybe you always don't want to sit down and just start writing code right away. You sit back and think about it a little bit. Yeah, no, definitely. So I thought that was cool. The, um, there was a new Google prediction API come out. Did you see that? I did have a look at that. That was weird because cause it's like you shove a bunch of stuff in it and then something kind of random comes out. Well, no. So what happens is, like, let's say that you have, um, listen, picture Excel spreadsheet, right? You know, and you have like, you know, ten thousand rows or something like that, and there are ten or five or ten or twenty columns of data, and then there's like the the last column is the one you're predicting. Yeah. Okay. And so you go through. You have an algorithm that goes through, and it says, okay, so and it, and it maps and it, and it learns this data so that when you go in and put in a an input that has, you know, ten of these of inputs that fall to this range, it will predict what is a likely outcome based on what it's seen in the past and yeah. it's called supervised learning and it's you know apparently they have a few different algorithms for it anyway it was very similar to i had two ideas that i was sort of throwing out there with guyon when i said let's what do we want to work on back about a year ago yeah and it was either this app ignite concept or was this sort of like web-based um business intelligence concept and the name i had for it so the the name is quantifier which hmm. like people would come in and you would upload like a CSV or you either come through an API or you just upload a CSV, um, um, you know, some data. And then you walk through a series of wizard steps and it just sort of like says, okay, you know, helps you sort of normalize and clean up the uh, pre-process, the data based on the kind of data it was would kind of step you through it. And then it would uh, give you uh, predict- So could I use that, that Google prediction API to create some kind of AI for Swarm? Uh, I think it would be hard to do supervised learning because what I was talking about was sort of this uh, what's called unsupervised learning. So you have tournaments of these things playing millions of games against themselves. Okay. I don't know if you could do a supervised learning. You might be able to, but I'd have to. You know, you'd have to. I don't have to think about that. I don't. I don't see an easy way to do it. But maybe I just need to think about it for a day or two. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, one thing I, I, I came into my uh, 
the other day, this is just sort of like a funny thought I had was, you know how they talk about um, these black budget programs in the U.S. government, that these huge amounts, billions and billions of dollars going to these black budget companies? Yeah, like in, uh, was it Thingamajig's War? I've forgotten the name. Wilson's War? No, it was... um Wilson's War is what you're when you're talking about. Yeah, the Wilson's War. Yeah. Well, this huge, a huge percentage now of the of the military and CIA budgets and air, you know, all the Pentagon's budget is all uh, black budget. It's off. It's off right. the normal balance sheet. They don't even track it. Nobody knows. And I was like, you know, it kind of, I was reading this article on. Um, oh, the, the one the one piece of infor- <laughs> interesting information I had about it. It goes. Um, it's like uh, here's the quote. It says, At the moment, approximately four million people in the United States hold security clearances to work on classified projects. By way of contrast, the federal government employs approximately 1.8 million civilians in the white world. Amazing, uh, since it's the since its uh, very beginning as the Black Chamber in 1919, covert clandestine black operations has grown to such a monumental size that few in our government knows just how large the organization really is. Um, this is a, from a book on uh, tracking these all these black programs, black ops yeah. programs. Um, our black budget programs, not all of them are military. And I was like, you know, it's kind of similar to the dark, dark matter in the universe. <laughs> they say like, uh, you know, it's, you know, they dark matter, they say that from, it says dark matter constitutes 80% of the matter in the universe. While ordinary matter makes up only 20%. This is from Wikipedia. Right. And it says in astronomy and cosmology, dark matter is, is matter that is inferred to exist from gravitational effects on visible matter and background radiation, but is undetectable by emitted or scattered electromagnetic radiation. And I was like, that's kind of like the black budget. It's like, we can only infer what it is by its gravitational effects on the way our world operates. Like, nobody knows directly what these black programs are doing and how they're influencing the world through these intelligence operations in the Pentagon. We can just kind of infer them <laughs> what's really that's going on. That's a good simile. That's a good simile. And, and it, it could turn into a meme that ends up on someone's blog post in a few months' time. You know, which we won't get credit for, so, you know. Yeah. Oh, well. Wait, I'll, I'll credit you. <laughs> you thought of it, and I, th- I think it was good. Yeah, we can say like, uh, you know, is are the black budgets program the dark matter of our government, or I don't know, the dark matter of I don't know. I have to come up with some kind of maybe I'll come up. Maybe that'll be the title of the show. But uh, that's oh the only last thing I want to bring up that I, I brought up as a possibility for talking about was the um, that guy why why um, a tale of postmodern genius what's right. his name um, he he did hackety hack do you know what I'm talking about nope. He did, oh, geez, what was his name? So he, this guy, he, he was sort of like this artist slash uh, programmer, and he wrote all these sort of Ruby tutorials and different things. And then um, he, he never, uh, it was called Why the Lucky Stiff was what his sort of, he called himself. And he was a musician, he was an artist, he was a programmer, he did all these kind of funky stuff on the web. And I guess he had kind of a, a, a little bit of a cult following of people who thought he did really great stuff. And at some point people, there were some people or someone who pieced together who is, what his real name was and posted it on the web. And at least the, that's the theory. And that, and as a result, the theory is that he just deleted everything he had done on the web completely off all the open source projects he had, all of the tutorials, all of everything just completely disappeared. Casper the Ghost, just gone. Wow. And they were talking about that. You hadn't, you hadn't read anything about Why the Lucky Stiff? You hadn't seen any of the videos no, of him or any of that stuff? It's kind of interesting that uh, some guy would just be out there doing all this stuff, and just because somebody found the, who he was or was supposed to his name, he just disappeared. Um, I've, we've just got, as we were speaking, we got another comment on uh, episode 43 from uh-huh. um, Philippe Monet. And yeah. he, says, he says something interesting, which is um, on the code less aspect, 
Right. He says, I think the visual logic builder pattern has shown not really uh, to work or scale in terms of that complexity. The right. concept is, because remember you were talking about that, that yep. thing last show. Uh, what yep. was it called again? Codeless. Codeless, yeah. So um, the concept has been, he says, the concept has been tried for about 20 years or so. Every few years a new entrant tries the approach and quietly disappears after a year. Yeah. Um, which is kind of true. It's kind of what I said. I just, this, this doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't, it sort of transforms the problem from one type of complexity to another. It doesn't really um, make it, make it any easier. You still have to learn a bunch of stuff and it's still very confusing, I think, for non-programmers. And if you're a programmer, you might as well just write the code. You right. know, I, that's, that was just my take on it. Um, and he says, he says, I don't see App Ignite facing the same types of issues since the approach is more based on defining components of an app. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I kind of wanted to make it feel like when you're using MapIgnite, I want to make it feel like you're sitting next to the fastest, most brilliant programmer in the world. And and he's just kind of walking. He says, okay, so what do you want to build? You're like, well, I kind of want this. Okay. What did it be called? Okay. I want to do this. And then, and then you, you kind of describe it and it instantly appears. Right. You know, and you kind of iteratively sitting through this person. And of course that rather than being a person, it's a kind of a wizard or a series of wizards. And, um, that's kind of that's what I'm trying to mimic at that as, as much as possible that kind of situation, you know. And uh, like I said, it, like everybody's mentioned, that's a big, it's a tall order. It ain't yeah. gonna be easy, um, but uh, that's that's what I'm shooting for. That's the kind of experience. Yeah. Well, I think we should probably call it a show. Agreed. I think it's been a great show. That we've gone over lots of topics. Um, we've had good 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 times, and we didn't really argue. Yeah, well, I'm saving up all my arguing for next show. I think next show will be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's a wrap. We're out.